Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. The Satipatthana Elements Exercise, like the Body Parts Exercise, seeks to decompose the body into its constituent parts, which, contingent and impermanent, are then revealed not to provide sufficient evidence for recomposing the presumption of a substantial and fixed self that is presumed to own or control the parts. Last week we mentioned that some knowledge of anatomy is called for in the body parts exercise, but you'll be happy to know that you will not have to memorize the periodic table to practice the elements exercise. There are only four elements, earth, water, fire, and air. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu reviews the same body, however it is placed, however disposed by way of elements, thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces, so too a bhikkhu reviews this same body however it is placed, however disposed, by way of the elements thus. In this body there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. The challenge of this exercise, at least for modern people, is that we're not used to thinking in terms of these four elements. Ideally, we would like to know immediately and fluently what we are observing in Satipatthana practice, as we do with the breath. Certainly, earth is found in bones. You can feel things gurgling and moving in your stomach or slosh your tongue around. That must be water, or try to catch your breath, air. But do we find water in the bones as well? How about in the muscles? How closely do we look? Can we visualize the cell structure to determine that there is water in a cell and also solid matter? Where is fire found in the body? The four elements seem to predate the Buddha and to be found in other cultures as well, and plausibly, people agreed on a conceptual model that made them quite fluent at thinking in these terms, just as most of us have no difficulty of thinking of our visual field in terms of pixels, or sounds in terms of vibrations at different frequencies and amplitudes. In either case, a rather abstract conceptual framework is involved. The Buddha doesn't seem to help us much, though later Buddhist tradition gives us details about the qualities of the elements. We are told that earth, for instance, 
refers not to a substance, but to qualities found in matter of stiffness, hardness, and also its opposite, softness. Physical water and wind can be soft and therefore have at least one earth characteristic. We're told that fire is that which matures or ages things and includes both hot and cold, and air has to do with movement. We know that they combine in different ways and that they give us the contents of our sense fields, so somehow they must manage to yield different colors and pitches and so on. Since the body exercises are thought experiments, a precise definition of earth, water, fire, and air is not critical. Just have an idea of something specific to look for in order to settle into this exercise without having to think and reason and decide each time. Last week I classified the practice of a given satipatthana exercise on a particular occasion as with or without visualization, with or without cushion, with or without preparation, and with or without dhamma. Elements are something we are not prepared for when we first begin this practice because we'll generally spend a lot of energy thinking discursively about how and where to find the elements in the body. We can do this, but as long as we're thinking discursively, we'll remain in the first jhana. Discursive thinking is cut off in the stillness of the second jhana and beyond. We will need these higher jhanas for intuitive comprehension that is the basis of insight. For instance, intuitive insight into non-self. A practical approach to simplify our preparation piggybacks on the body parts exercise. In another discourse, the Buddha tells us, What bhikkhu is the earth element? The earth element may be either internal or external. What is the internal earth element? Whatever internally belonging to oneself is solid, solidified, and clung to. That is head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bones, bone marrow, kidneys, heart, liver, diaphragm, spleen, lungs, intestines, mesentery, contents of the stomach, feces, or whatever else internally belonging to oneself is solid, solidified, and clung to. This is called the internal earth element. There are equivalent passages for water, fire, and air, but we'll just look at the earth element. I'll come back to the exterior earth element mentioned here. Internal here is used in a manner consistent with internal analysis. Our task in this exercise is to challenge the presumption that the earth element belongs to oneself, which is to say, the body self, for which reason it is clung to. What we are given is a list of body parts, each classified as belonging to the earth element. This is clearly a practical simplification, since any body part 
can certainly be analyzed at some level as possessing all four elements. A more precise alternative way to approach the practice would be to move part by part and look for each of the elements in each body part. However, we analyze them, reviewing instances of the four elements fulfills the purpose of Satipatthana through decomposition of the body self, much as in the body parts exercise. The common refrain guides the process. In this way, he abides contemplating body in the body internally, or he abides contemplating body in the body externally, or he abides contemplating body in the body both internally and externally. He abides contemplating in body the nature of arising, or he abides contemplating in body the nature of vanishing, or he abides contemplating in body the nature of both arising and vanishing. Recollecting that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency. He abides independent. He doesn't cling to anything in the world. That is how a bhikkhu abides contemplating body in the body. We contemplate the body internally in terms of the elements, then fold in our reflection on the impermanence and contingency of every element. We catch ourselves and others replacing our water and earthly several times a day. Yet if our body consists of elements, our elements manifest our body. We must cling to our elements. But we readily notice the intuitive silliness of claiming my water or my earth as me and mine, especially from deep in jhana. The water entering our stomach, flowing through our veins, and sloshing around as spittle in our mouths is far removed from a substantial and fixed self. What evidence for such an abstract presumption? We are offered a bonus contemplation in the case of the elements exercise. We notice that the self is not the unique possessor and controller of the four elements in that we can observe them beyond the perimeter of our bodies as well as within, and they look very similar. The passage about internal and exterior elements from another sutta continues as follows. Now, both the internal element and the external element are simply earth element, and that should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus. This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. When one sees it thus, as it actually is, with proper wisdom, one becomes disenchanted with the earth element and makes the mind dispassionate towards the earth element. There's no difference between the earthen book in your hand and the earthen hand. They are simply earth element. There is no difference between the water and the glass in your hand and the water in your veins. 
or the water before and after you drink it. It is just water. While you were contemplating the elements, take an excursion around the room. It's all elements. Where is the body self? This particular contemplation of noting the similarity of what lies within the presumed volume of the body and what lies without does not work with the body parts, unless you happen to be a fetus or a butcher that has fallen into a vat of organ meats. Before I conclude, I want to address samadhi a little more deeply and its relationship to the analysis performed in Satipatthana. Samadhi is the narrowing of attention, including the attenuation of cognitive faculties like thinking, to what is needed for analysis or contemplation. As we habituate and internalize the analysis required for a particular exercise, required effort is reduced and we tend to enter progressively deeper jhanas over the weeks, months, or years that we make progress with the exercise, but presumably with interspersed exercises as well. Samadhi tracks our needed cognitive effort as it diminishes with repeated practice. As long as we are in preparatory mode, that is, still struggling with what we're supposed to be doing in this particular exercise, we will be confined to the first jhana in which needed thought and deliberation are still active. Later, less effort will be required and stiller states of jhana can maintain the practice. Once again, the principle here is the same by which driving, so effortful at first, became habituated and internalized so that most of the time it's quite effortless. The difference between driving and satipatthana practice is that in satipatthana we remain ardently engaged in the task even while the unneeded effort subsides, resulting in samadhi, a very serene state of mind. In driving, the surplus effort that is no longer needed is directed elsewhere, like into singing along with the radio, into texting, and into enjoying our cappuccino or cheeseburger. Through continuous engagement in the task in Satipatthana, we choose samadhi over distraction. Maintaining effortless engagement in samadhi has profound consequences for the performance of the task of analysis. It promotes our intimacy with the task and with the other factors involved in comprehension because our concepts otherwise create a separation between direct experience and how we interpret that experience. Analysis continues in deeper samadhi, but increasingly through our whisper, quiet, intuitive faculties, rather than through conceptual reasoning. In Satipatthana, we continue to develop our depth of comprehension, while the driver in his distractedness 
stops improving his driving skills. Our perception of impermanence and our non-perception of the self become increasingly integrated into our immediate intuitive perceptual apparatus. What happens in Satipatthana is comparable to the development of virtuosity in performing arts, in which training is based on choosing to develop a high degree of undistracted, continuous engagement in the task, even while the task becomes cognitively effortless. There will be times when we want to prioritize either samadhi or analysis, and we have wiggle room in this matter. An example of this is when we choose to practice in the without dhamma mode. Recall from our discussion of bodily actions that engaging in bodily actions while ignoring the refrain seems to be a common practice in the early texts. This practice reduces the effort involved, allows the mind to settle into a deeper samadhi, and has the advantages of being more easily practiced in everyday contexts, of habituating and internalizing samadhi itself, and of providing a calm abiding. Good when we want to relax, when we're too tired to spend all of our time analyzing, or in modern circumstances, when we need to de-stress. Likewise, our understanding of Dhamma begins with an intellectual understanding, and there are times when we feel we need to engage some additional intellectual brain work before we can develop a proper intuitive understanding. We can do this brain work in the first jhana. In short, within the Satipatthana framework, we can prioritize either analysis or samadhi at any time, one at the cost of the other, until both can be maintained effortlessly beyond the preparatory stage of the given exercise. Another practical instance, a common one, in which we might want to prioritize samadhi temporarily, is found when one sits on the cushion, attending with know-how to what is in front, and finds the mind too restless to settle into the practice. In this case, we might want to drop dhammic analysis altogether for a while, and in fact choose an easy exercise that has been thoroughly internalized to the point of effortlessness, and is therefore conducive to samadhi. The breath is typically the first exercise to reach this stage. Once restlessness is dispelled in samadhi, one can then begin practicing the intended exercise with whatever effort is required. Let me stop here for this week. Next week I'll talk about the contemplation of corpses, human corpses, left in a charnel ground to undergo the various stages of decay. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. 
That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org, C-I-N-T-I-T-A.